All right, good morning. How are you? It is April 28th, and it, this, believe it or not, is our last April show here at the Kyle and Kastanoff Show. And end of April means one thing and one thing only, NFL Draft. I think we're going to have to go through and uh, talk about, you know, obviously the big names in the first round are, are quarterbacks. We got first overall, Baker Mayfield to Cleveland. A lot of people thought it was going to be Josh Allen, including myself. A lot of people thought it was going to be Sam Darnold. Right, like, you know, hours before the draft, people started to suspect, well, it could be this Baker Mayfield kid. But uh, what, what are your thoughts on the Browns selection there? The Browns have blown the draft once again. I, I thought that things were going to be different under the new organization um, led by uh, new GM uh, John Dorsey, a great NFL mind. He was really successful in Seattle and Green Bay and Kansas City. Real NFL stalwarts these past, you know, 20 years or so. Um, but they've blown the draft once again with this first selection in Baker Mayfield. They really had a chance to turn things around this season, um, really make a name for themselves. But they chose a quarterback that honestly would have been available at the 15th pick in the draft. If they really if they really wanted him, they probably could have got him at 15. Uh, Baker Mayfield is just not – he's not an NFL quarterback. I'm sorry. We've seen it time and time again. Like he doesn't he like he he has Drew Brees size but he doesn't have Drew Brees accuracy he's got Russell Wilson size doesn't have Russell Wilson speed um, it's just he's he's but he's a, a good leader he's got those intangibles sure sh- sure you can say he's a good leader but like leadership only gets you so far he at, at a certain point you have to perform on the field and I don't think that Baker Mayfield has what it takes to to perform on the field and he's not a number one value talent here I, I don't okay, know okay this is actually interesting that you mentioned that. Uh, my thought has always been this. When you're picking first overall, what you're really picking is the guy you want the most. So it's not about who is necessarily the most valuable. You know, like if if you didn't make a field goal all last season, you need a kicker. Picking a kicker first overall, even though obviously no, that would no. be stupid, is still the most valuable pick to No, but you. that's not how the draft works, though. You pick based on who's going to be available when. And a kicker, if you really need it, is going to be available in the sixth round. Of course, of course. I, I'm not I'm not advocating for pick, selecting a kicker, like, first overall, obviously. But I'm saying that if, you know, if Baker Mayfield is the guy with the skills that you want and you have the first overall pick, there's no reason why you no, shouldn't make that selection. I completely disagree. I think... What the like in, in terms of what the Browns had? If you really want Baker Mayfield, if you re, if you really think for some twisted reason that he's the best quarterback available in this draft, which honestly he's probably actually I, I think he's the clear cut fifth best quarterback in this draft, um, then you can package up a Wait, bunch you, of you lesser. You think that Baker Mayfield is less good than Josh Allen? Absolutely, I think Baker Mayfield is less good, for lack of a better term, than Josh Allen is. But back to my point. If if the Browns really do want him, package you know a bunch of lesser assets and trade f- up for like I said maybe the fifteenth pick because honestly I think he'd be available then and then at one take the best player available Saquon Barkley why not take Saquon at one and take maybe Bradley Chubb at four wait but you don't want it you didn't want to take uh, you don't like taking running backs that no high. but I mean like. Saquon Barkley is the best player in the draft, and while while the Giants taking him at two was definitely a reach, he is like he unlike Baker Mayfield has talent to warrant that spot. While while you know it may not be a marquee position, and the and a running back is not going to win the is not going to pull like pull the Giants back into playoff contention this season without a bunch of other things happening around him. Um, 
he's still the best player in the draft. And honestly, like he would have gone two or th- he was going no- like everyone knew that he w- he was going no lower than two in this draft. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a surprise that the Giants right, picked him. Right, but I just I just don't agree with it. And I think like if the Browns wanted like the best players available, take Saquon at one and take Bradley Chubb at four, and then but- get a quarterback later in the like like you just don't need a quarterback at one. I'm sorry. It was just a huge mistake, and the Browns are not going to do that well this year again because they've blown it again. Yeah, but and, what's not and Dorsey that well? Is, and Dorsey will be shown the door at the end of the season. Give us a number for what's not that well. Um, I, I, I say they win three or four. Yeah, but three or four up from zero is pretty good. It's infinitely better than zero, that's right. But compared to the rest of the NFL, it's not, it's not enough. It's, especially like in terms of the amount of roster turnover that the Browns are, are going to be fielding come September 1st. I mean, they've got a great receiving core, though. So, Well, I mean, Josh Gordon hasn't proven that he can stay on the field for the last five seasons, so we we don't know how far that's going to take him. But he came back and he looked good at the end of the season. Yeah, he he looked good in terms of what he was working with, for sure. I mean, Jarvis Landry can't catch a ball more than 10 yards down the field. That kind of holds him back a little bit. He'll get 110 yards receiving, but he won't crack 1,000 yards this season. That's for sure. That doesn't help you that much. I'm sorry. Um... Who else? I mean, I think that's it in terms of the receivers, right? I mean, I mean, and they have running backs in the backfield, but again, like to be effective, you can only have one or two running backs on the field at a time. And I mean, they have Carlos Hyde, they got Isaiah Crowell, I think, maybe, maybe not, and they have um, the. I don't even know. I don't even know. Okay, e- either either way, they don't have the talent against you know Pittsburgh or a Baltimore in their even in their division to win more than five or six games this season. Well, let's talk about what they do have, which is that they actually have an NFL starting quarterback on the roster already, which I think is going to really help Baker Mayfield's transition because they've never had uh, a guy who is like a true starting quarterback in the in the NFL role like through all this roster toner, turnover that they've had over the last, you know, 20 years or so. They've never had like a true professional who can show a young guy what it's like to be an NFL quarterback. Tyrod Taylor can do that. Yeah, Tyra, I mean, like, like he's sneaky good because he doesn't throw picks. He, he really doesn't take risks. But that's also what holds him back. He really doesn't take risks. So he's really limited in terms of what he can give you because he won't, you know, throw the ball 60 yards downfield. He, he won't give you that, that picture-perfect backdoor, backside fade into the corner of the end zone. I, I mean, like, he'll throw five picks in a season. Sure, he, he'll, he'll keep the ball, like, on your team. But, like, I, I don't know. He, well, I want to say two things. So I want to say two things in regard to that. First of all, I'm not saying that Tyrod Taylor is going to be, you know, a Super Bowl winning quarterback ever. I'm not. I'm, I'm not just saying not that. sure that that's but, who but what you I'm want Baker Mayfield learning from. But he's a professional. He understands well, how I mean, to work hard, how to study the game. Yeah, but you look at a guy like Johnny Manziel who didn't really understand what it took to be an NFL quarterback, how hard you had to work, and, and especially because people do well, draw I think comparisons. Also, like, I, I don't really want to get into Manziel here, but I mean, like. Part of his problem was that he was on the Browns. Like, you don't fail by yourself. You fail because other people allow you to fail. Like, n- nobody fails alone. Like, I think that the Browns have, know that. I do. He didn't have what was necessary to, like, make him, to, like, uh, unleash his potential because he has sky-high potential. He was better than I think Baker Mayfield could have been. Like, I, I don't know. All right, let's move on to the third overall pick, Sam Darnold. Probably the best quarterback in the draft, do you think? Yeah, this is a safe pick by the Jets. They have their quarterback for the next 10 years. Um, and now they've got a true pro to learn from. Josh McCown is is the guy you want to learn from. 
Right. Well, I mean, you've talked bad about Josh McCown in the past. Um, we have to give him. Yeah, the, I have. We have to give him some respect here. He's 38. He's still kicking. He's been. He's he's been. You know, the best backup quarterback in the NFL for he the last He signed a $10 million dollar contract at a Chick-fil-A. That was pretty cool. That That's true. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that was pretty cool. Uh, that's a real, f- both a football guy and just an, a normal everyday guy move too, you know? Celebrities uh, are just like us. Right, exactly. But, um, yeah, that that is a guy who I think, I don't think Darnold will start this year until, like, maybe until the Jets are, are, are out of contention, you know, week seven, <laughs> you know, because the Jets are pretty bad. Um Maybe week seven, they give him the nod once they're out of contention, and maybe if Josh McCown and his 39-year-old body gets hurt. Um, but, yeah, th- obviously this is the best quarterback left. The Jets need, need a quarterback of the future. They haven't had one, you know, as long as the Browns, really. Um, so, yeah, this is a good pick. I'm Going to it. seventh, we've got Josh Allen with the Bills. And let me be the first to say he is the perfect Bills quarterback. I could not think of someone who more suits Buffalo Bills football than Josh Allen. I thought it was so funny. After he was drafted, he was being interviewed by whoever the ESPN, um, you know. Reporter. Yeah. yeah. I'm, not, I'm not really sure who the name was. but And she goes, and at the end of the interview, she goes, coast to coast. And I'm like, well, not really. I'm, I'm sure if you're, if you're in Wyoming or you're in Buffalo, you realize that neither one is anywhere near the either coast. Well, he grew up um, in California, so... That's true, but I think what she was referring yeah. to was the fact that he went to school in Wyoming. Yeah, I think um, so, too. <laughs> um, and I was like, but like Buffalo, like, nah, man, Well, they, they love that storyline because she also said that about uh, Sam Darnold. And, uh, That's true, but he really is going coast to coast. That no, is yeah, he actually is, coast. but I'm just saying that they really like that line. Yeah. Then 10th, you were amped, you were jacked, you were so excited I'm for this so pick. I'm so excited for this pick. Josh Rosen. I... I Arizona, it, it's by an, the way. It's an unbelievable feeling. I'm a huge Arizona Cardinals fan. I wake up Friday morning to a franchise quarterback for the next 10 years. Oh, I'm a little bit I sad that you went so, to sleep with your guys on the board. I am Not a football guy move. Yeah, no. No, I agree. But still, I think Josh Rosen, I think he was the second best quarterback in the draft after Darnold. I, I think he was a top three talent, uh, but nobody really recognized that. He said he was pissed off that he fell to 10. I agree, but I think he's happy to be in Arizona. It's a mild media climate. He's not going to have much spotlight on him. Yet, at the end of the day, it's still a pretty stable franchise that's that's had some s- real success in the past few years. They have some stars around him. They've got David Johnson. They've got Larry Fitzgerald. Well, can we can we talk about this? The big knock against Josh Rosen and what they say the other guys in this in this quarterback class have that he doesn't is the ability to play outside the pocket and to, and to play, you know, when things get messy. Because in college, you can get a lot of clean looks from the pocket, but in the NFL, that rarely happens. And they say Josh, Josh Rosen's just less good at that than other players. You mean less good or more good? Le- less good. good. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's, I mean he's worse. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. But, uh, like, he's not that fast. He, I think he ran a 4.940. It's not very good. But um, I, I think if the, if the Cardinals can find, you know, the offensive line talent that they had, that really ended Carson Palmer's career earlier than it should have. If they can find the offensive line talent around him, they can really establish him as a great pocket passer, um, someone who doesn't have to do that much with his legs and still be effective. And I think he will be. I think he's going to be a, a real winner for this team. He's got enough weapons around him. Um, I think this is a steal, honestly, at 10 for them. All right. The last quarterback selected in the first round, 32nd overall by the Baltimore Absurd. Ravens, Absurd. Lamar Jackson. He's better than 32nd overall. You know... Through this whole process, you know, people like the, you know, the, the racial epithets that, you know, have just been 
thrown at, at Lamar Jackson. I mean, it's it's hard to hear, but I can't imagine what it's like to deal with that, you know, if you are Lamar Jackson, just like, you know, all these, like, he's too small, he's too skinny, he, like, he'll burn out in five years, he's more of a wide receiver. I think Lamar Jackson, like, I, I say that Darnold is the best quarterback in this draft, but I think Lamar Jackson, based on just, like, pure talent and the ceiling that he has, the like, the game-stopping... Um, ability that he has, I think he might be really the best quarterback available in this draft. He is a franchise, you know, altering player for the Baltimore Ravens. And when Joe Flacco at, at the end of the season, Joe Flacco will get cut because he's out of guaranteed money. Probably cut him, yes, and, and they can kind of stretch out what's left of of his dead cap space. Um, but I think I think Lamar Jackson is going to make the Ravens a contender for years to come. I mean, assuming assuming he can stay healthy, because you know running quarterbacks don't usually have that long of a lifespan in the NFL. Well, the thing should be said is that he's a Heisman Trophy winner. This guy's not a people nobody. Forget. People <laughs> forget. Yeah, he's a Heisman Trophy winner. But like, I mean, I think people forget because of the, of the lack of postseason success that Louisville has had. Um, they've kind of fallen apart the past two years, kind of at the end of the year. But this is a guy like. Like, I remember seeing stats, it was like Michael Vick ran for like 1,300 yards total in college, and Lamar Jackson ran for like 4,000 yards in college. Like, unbelievable. Like, he is the best running quarterback college has ever seen. Um, it'll be interesting to see if it translates to the NFL. He's definitely really fast. Again, it's just, can he stay healthy? I'm excited, though. Uh, all right. We're going to talk a few more things, which is the surprise of the first round. For me... Derwin James, he was rated 7th on ESPN's uh, before the draft. He fell all the way to number 17 in the Chargers. Now, if I'm Derwin James, I might be a little appreciative because I kind of want to live in L.A. if I'm Derwin James, you know? That's a nice place to live and a nice place to play. Well, but- well, only for so long. They, you know, it's been, it's been thrown out there. They may go back to San Diego. I think they should. They're playing in a soccer stadium that they can't even sell out. 20,000 capacity and they can't even sell that out. Pretty ridiculous. L.A., doesn't want them, but this is but this isn't about that. This is about Derwin James and how preposterous it is that he fell to seventeen. Honestly, like this guy is a top ten talent for anyone. I'd say it's undoubtedly so. He, he uh, you know, he can really play, and he probably deserves to go. I mean, I think he definitely deserved to go higher than that. Right. I think part of. Like what makes him so great is how versatile he was in college. I mean, he, I mean, he's listed as a safety, but he's played corner, he's played linebacker, he's really like a Jabril Peppers kind of a guy, and he's the kind of guy that Bill Belichick, I'm sure, would have loved if he if he would have wanted to trade all the way up to you know even 17 to get him. But um, unfortunately, he won 17 in the Chargers. I was hoping he'd he'd slip all the way down to the Patriots at 23. It didn't happen, but still. Much like the Cardinals and Rosen, it's it's a real steal for the Chargers at 17. I do just want to revisit Lamar Jackson, actually. So I, I, I stayed up. I watched the whole first round. And I have to say, I was remarkably impressed with his professionalism. He sat in the green room, you know, all night, basically. And they kept cutting the videos of him, pictures of him. And he looked calm and cool and collected. And he looked like, you know, he knew that... He was going to get picked by someone, and he and he's the type of guy that strikes me as kind of like the chip-on-the-shoulder kind of guy where I'm going to get picked by someone, and whoever picks me, I'm going to make the luckiest man and seem like the smartest guy. I know. I really I felt terrible watching him slip all the way down. Um, I was so happy for him when he finally got picked. Um, it's absurd that he fell, all, like as was said, um, that he fell all the way to 32. Um but either way, great for him. The Ravens are, you know, a really stable franchise. Um, I think he's going to have a great, successful career for them, assuming he can stay on the field. Um, I, I'm excited for the things to come for, w- w- with Baltimore. Um, 
But that is going to do it for our NFL draft coverage. Um, super excited. Rounds four through seven are continuing on today. We, we've got such big-name players. I mean, quote-unquote, big-name players. <laughs> Um, as as Luke Falk, the quarterback for Washington State, we'll see if the Patriots can pick their quarterback of the future. Um, who knows? Welcome back to the Colin Kasnoff Show. We're talking the National Hockey League. It's the playoffs. It's the postseason. Best time of the year, especially if you're a big hockey guy like I am. We're going to start with your favorite team, Kyle. The Boston Bruins, they won Game 7. They play Game 1 versus Tampa today, 3 p.m. on NBC, I believe. Yep, yep. Your thoughts on the on the team and their I season? I am so excited. The Bruins are Boston's best hope at a championship this season. Um, well, like, the Celtics have Game 7 tonight. Um, don't know if they can get it done with their really depleted roster. But the Bruins came out strong in that third period on Wednesday night. Down 4-3, end up winning 7-4. Um, they really kn- knew how to close that game. Th- they really used the energy of the crowd. Um, Marshan had a huge impact. Pasternak, um, Jake DeBrosk had a huge game. I, th- I believe he had two goals. Yeah, the, um, that kid can play. Oh it was a God. great all-around performance from the Bruins. I was so happy with how they closed out. Frederick Anderson, we really got soft Frederick Anderson on, on Wednesday night. Um, the second D- Jake DeBrosk goal he should have had. Absolutely right. should have had. Right. Yeah, that was honestly like it, I I didn't even know that like that it went in. I thought that the, that the crowd was standing up because of how hard um, that Jake DeBrusque hit the boards. Because after he scored, he was just checked really hard into the boards. Yeah, I Jake was like, Gardner I was like, murdered him. I was like, I was like, oh no, everyone's standing up because he 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 just got paralyzed. But no, the puck actually went between Anderson's legs and into the net. Crazy finish. Uh, I'm so excited. So here's the question. Can Tampa get? I'm sorry. Can Boston get get past Tampa? I think so. I I, I mean, like th- they were like what three and one against them in the season. I right? think they did. I think they had a very positive record. Yes. Right. Exactly. So like just based on that, like I don't know that much about Tampa. Tampa's obviously a great team. They've got some playmakers. They have obviously Stamkos, Kucherov, um, who's an institution. They have they have Kucherov. They have uh, Andre Vasilevsky. Uh, in goal, they might have the best defense in the playoffs. That's true. They, uh, it's up. It, I wouldn't say the best. Are they the ones who run that one-three-one defense? I don't believe so. Okay, uh, it's Ottawa who who runs. Ottawa the runs one-three-one. One. Okay, and they're but, not in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I think Tampa can give them a run for their money, but I think the Bruins have what it takes to get it done. All right, let's just say they get out of this series. I'm gonna say it first. There is no way. The Bruins are getting past the Pittsburgh Penguins. As much as I want to believe that they will, because in my bracket I did pick the Bruins to lose in the Stanley Cup final, watching this Penguins team play hockey is absolutely absurd. It's like they just can't lose. It, I, I watched. Well, game, they lost twice to the Flyers. Yeah, but I mean more in a series. I watched the game versus Washington. They're down 2-0. They're looking down and out, and then boom, they flip a switch. All of a sudden, they scored three goals. You ready for this? Go ahead. Jake Gensel, the electric uh, young winger for the Penguins, 32 games played in the playoffs. 20 goals, which is remarkable in its own. Seven game-winning goals. Let's compare that to his teammate and often linemate, two-time playoff MVP, Sidney Crosby, 155 playoff games played, nine game-winning goals. So you don't think... 
So you're already counting the Caps out down 1-0 here to the Penguins. You don't think that that they can pull off a comeback like Absolutely they did against not. the Blue Jackets? There is no way the Caps are going to get by. I mean, because here's the thing. Even on a night like uh, like the uh, Thursday night, when Alex Ovechkin played a great game, which has been rare of him in the playoffs, he has not always been the best playoff performer, still the Penguins beat him. They, they just find a way. Malkin wasn't even in the lineup. They still find a way. The Penguins, I'm tempted to say, are like the Patriots of hockey. They're just, they've got the next man up attitude in the sense that this guy goes down, it's fine. We'll call up Zach uh, Aston Reese from Wilkes-Barre Scranton. Next guy goes down, oh, it's fine. We got, uh, you know, we got this guy. We got that guy. They, they've got everyone. If you look at, like, the defense core that the Penguins won their first Stanley Cup with, like half the guys, people like thought we're not like we couldn't even play in the NHL. They they just get the job done, and I think that the man who deserves all the credit is Penguins general manager Jim Rutherford. His talent evaluation skills, or, or maybe it's the front office and someone and who we don't know. It, obviously, it's a big front office, but his talent evaluation skills are off the charts. He has been able to find the right guys, structure the right deals, and bring them in. Bringing in Riley Sheehan from Detroit after last season, Riley Sheehan. I believe he scored two goals in 81 games played. Do you know when he scored the two goals? When? The 81st game played. He went 80 games without a goal. As a forward, he was playing like second and third line minutes. They brought him into the Penguins this year to be a, be a fourth line center. I was watching game one versus Washington on Thursday night. Riley Shane's playing on the second line and looking fantastic against a good Capitals team. It's just ridiculous. Uh, what what they do and and how they get those guys in there and just get them absolutely churning. I mean I mean like you really can't argue with their experience and their recent playoff success for sure. M- my question is like, say the Bruins do lose to Tampa Bay, do you think Tampa Bay has a much better chance of no. beating Pittsburgh? Like uh, like you think Pittsburgh is the clear cut? Even though you picked Boston, you think Pittsburgh is the clear cut? You know, favorite to represent the East in the Stanley Cup Finals this season. I mean, may, call it recency bias, call it what you want, but uh, admittedly, I didn't watch a lot of the first round of the Flyers-Penguins because I really don't like the Flyers, and I, it's kind of a waste of my time to watch them. But uh, I think that watching them, you just you cannot forget how clutched they are. And, and as much as I, I guess I would like to be right and have the Bruins win, I think that I maybe got caught up in a little recency bias at the end of the season with the way the Bruins finished. I just have trouble seeing how a team is going to get past the Penguins. I mean, the Bruins did go 2-0-1 against them in the regular season. And they got, what, like 15 more points than they did in the regular season? Not the same thing. The The Penguins have what's uh, an interesting phenomenon. Because they've played so much hockey over the last two years, because, you know, playing into June every year, it's a short summer, it's a, it's a quick turnaround, it's pretty much expected, it was pretty much expected from the Penguins that they were going to have a little bit of a slower start in the in the fall. Uh, and and if you look at their record, it, it basically reflects that. They, they didn't do it so well kind of until December or so, and then they really turned it on, uh, and they got back up. And, and the one thing which we know about hockey, which is maybe more so than any other professional sport, is that the seeding almost doesn't even matter in the sense that, you know, We've had 16 seeds win in the last decade. You know, the LA Kings, when they won their first Stanley Cup in 2012, they weren't just the eighth seed in the West. They were the lowest seed in the entire playoffs. And I believe when they went to the West Finals that year, they played the seventh-seeded Phoenix Coyotes. 
I think they played them before, but I think they played them in the second round. But yeah, you're, you're right. No, I think the Coyotes went all the way to the West Finals that year because they played like Chicago. I want to say, yeah, I actually know. I'm positive that they went to the West Finals, um, and I'm pretty sure they lost in seven games to the Kings that year. Believe it or not, as bad as the Coyotes have been since then. Um, but either way, yeah, I mean, like it's crazy. It's crazy that this, like, how clutch this team has been. Um, it, it really is. It's hard. To you know, expect anyone to beat them. Um, if we want to talk clutch, though, we got to go talk about almost a forgotten team. Vegas hasn't been playing hockey for so long. You know, in these po- in those playoffs, they had I believe it was n- eight or nine days off. Yeah, I basically just forgot about them. But I'd like to just say for the record, they're still really, really good. They absolutely murdered the Sharks seven zero. They walked past them like they weren't even there. I watched the whole game. And, you know, Vegas, it's just outstanding. The question really is, is that at what point is it safe to say that they're going to go 16-0? I mean, at 5-0, and that, I mean, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good, uh, pretty good start, Right, obviously. but the Kings and the Jets are, I'm, I'm sorry, the Kings and the, the Sharks, Sharks are no Jets and Predators, though. You know, it's, the, it's a whole different ball game when you get to the central. A lot of people, including myself, feel that the Sharks should match up really well against the Golden Knights. I don't think we've seen the last of them. I don't think that the Sharks will get swept. I think they will win games. I do think if any team, you know, if any team could do it, I would say the Sharks could maybe even pull it out. I mean, they're only down one zero. It's not like they're down three zero and facing elimination or something like that. But the th- the thing for me is that this Knights team continues to just stack up to any challenge. Any anything that that comes in their way, they're ready to take them down and it's it's honestly just remarkable because the thing the, the other thing is that people were worried about the offense of the Golden Knights because when they played the Kings, they played four games, they scored seven goals, right? And last night no- or sorry, the other night the Knights played Vegas, they scored seven goals in one game. They doubled their goal total in only five games. But the most remarkable thing, what Vegas really has that uh, that uh, oh, no one is can really match right now, is Mark Andre Fleury probably playing the best hockey of his career. Five playoff games this season, three shutouts. It does not get better than that. Mm-hmm. He's definitely who you want um, in net for this team. And you know, I mean, I've said it before, but like, if you want you know playoff experience, and we talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins, part of their recent success was hinged on the on the playoff success of, of Marc-Andre Fleury. And sure. Matt Murray, you know, the, the good goaltender. Right, exactly. Uh, the last thing we have to talk about, the other series, Winnipeg-Nashville. This is going to be an absolutely electric series. I think that Nashville will, will, will get it, but uh, Winnipeg did win the first one, 4-1, pretty convincingly. But obviously Nashville's not a team that's going to roll over. They're not about to, you know, to lose easily, but... Uh, it, this series is is definitely for me probably going to be the one to watch. It could go seven. Yeah, Winnipeg. Um, I, I'm sticking with them. They are my Stanley Cup pick. Um, not to win it. Obviously, the Bruins are going to win it, <laughs> okay. but they're my pick to make it and lose. Um, you know, Connor Hallibuck. Hellibuck. Hellibuck. He's a good goaltender for them. He he excellent. He, he played really well in that first game. Um, you know, I mean, if he can stick to it, um, yeah, I don't know. I can see Winnipeg beating Nashville. Nashville's a great team. Probably on paper the best team in the playoff field. Um, but I, I can see Winnipeg in their whiteout uh, in that home ice advantage that they're going to have. I, I can see them taking down Nashville here. So here's my question. Let's, let's just a big hypothetical. Let's say 
you know, both game ones have been played that say Vegas wins, Winnipeg wins. You still like Winnipeg against Vegas? I do. You see, because yeah. I, I actually would, would probably switch and say, I might like Vegas against Winnipeg more. I definitely like Vegas against Winnipeg more than I like Vegas against Nashville. Because the thing for me is that uh, if you look at Nashville, like every guy on that team plays hard, hard hockey. Even their star players, they're tossing shoulders around, they're, they're checking, they're grinding. And, and with Winnipeg, obviously, it's a very skilled team, not to take anything away from any of them. But you don't see like as much of a Nikolai Ehlers or Patrick Laine, you know, tossing around the body in the same way that Philip Forsberg does for the Nashville Predators. So I think that if you're Vegas, you'd rather play the less physical team in Winnipeg. You'd rather kind of get into, uh, you'd rather you'd rather get into the speed and spill skill game than the toughness game because Vegas is not really gonna. Uh, you know, walk away kindly. That's why, like, in the first round, Vegas was walking away from all the scrums and everything like that because they didn't really want to get into it with the Kings because they knew it wasn't going to end well for them. I agree. I think that Vegas would definitely match up better against the less physical Jets for sure. Maybe it's just me rooting for the USA versus Canada Stanley Cup Finals. You know, circa Vancouver versus Boston 2011. I mean, that could be a fun one to watch, you know? Oh, it would be absolutely electric. I, I mean, you know me. I love Canada. And I, I think that hockey is better when Canadian teams do well. Unfortunately, that hasn't happened too much. But uh, Right. It was just, what, two years ago that not a single Canadian team made the playoffs? Yeah. Isn't I mean, right? the last time a Canadian team won the Stanley Cup, 1993 Montreal Canadiens. It has been a minute, Pretty as they bad. say. All right, welcome back. We're going to jump into some NBA playoff talk. The big story today, the go, Oklahoma City jazz, Thunder. Go, Right. Go, Jazz, go. Absolutely. The o- go, Jazz, go. The OK3 are going home, and they're going to be watching the rest of this postseason from their couches. Matt, your thoughts? I actually wrote down Russ and his crew of misfits in my show notes. Right. There's no way that that team's a super team, just for the record. I mean, we all know that. I agree. It's Russell, Russell Westbrook carrying the rest of them. Uh, my thoughts on that, the Jazz are maybe the greatest team to ever play basketball. Your thoughts? Um, yeah. Actually, I saw a crazy stat, and it was the Jazz, you know, their six best players, Crowder, Ingles, Rubio, uh, Favors, Gobert, and Mitchell, zero combined all-star appearances. While George, Anthony, and Westbrook, 22 combined all-star appearances. Hmm. Pretty unbelievable. It sounds like they're uh, king killers. They're the common man taking down, you know, they're, it's they're a David. Real, it's a real David versus Goliath. Yeah. Thing, for sure. Well, okay, here's what I want to talk about. Obviously, everyone knows a star player in Utah. It's uh, Donovan Mitchell. And I've got a hot take. You ready for this? Go ahead. I think Donovan Mitchell might be the best finisher in the NBA, second only to Kyrie Irving. That is not a stretch, absolutely. I, I think he he's, but I think I think honestly more important than his finish, than his finishing ability. Can you really have your star player wearing number forty five, in the NBA? Is that really is it really the number that you want your star player to have? You play for the name on the front, so they'll remember the name on the back. Who cares what number he is? Forty five. Sorry, man. You gotta change that number. That's a pretty ugly number. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, back to his actually actual encore production. 38 points last night. The most ever for a rookie in the playoffs. Honestly, I didn't. I didn't believe that when I saw it because honestly, 38 seems kind of low for the highest ever for a rookie in the playoffs. But still, pretty crazy. Um, 
he really showed out. But some of the some of the shots he was making was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, he he's he, he's a good player. Yeah, he, he was really finishing is. from places where he had no business putting the the ball in the net. Right. I mean, he's going straight at Stephen Adams, who's seven foot two seventy five. <laughs> That's a big scary guy to be going straight at, and, and he did. And, and Donovan Mitchell's only what six two, six three. But when we talk about the finishing, though, it's it's also like you know when you watch when you watch Kyrie, you know, playing those finals games uh, with uh, Cleveland, you see the way how he switches hands down low before he raises the ball up, and Mitchell does the exact same thing, and that's what's really impressive to have the awareness while you're driving or while you're even jumping in the air to you know drop the ball down low, switch hands, and then still get it up and finish. That that's a kind of skill that that is so rare, and when you have it, you have to hold on to it. Yeah. He's he's really athletic, uh, absolutely. He's he's gonna have a great career in the NBA. Could he be an all team an all NBA player this no, year? No, not even second team because that only counts regular season success, and he only averaged twenty three and three in the regular season. So like good, not great. But who's a better rookie than him? Simmons. Yeah, I You're think right. Simmons is the better is the better rookie. Um, I think Simmons does more. On but the look, floor. but look at what Simmons is working with. I bet if Joel if Joel M, if Joel Embiid was out in Utah, well, look what Donovan Mitchell's working with. It's I not mean, it's not as good as Joel. The Jazz Embiid. won what forty nine games, and and the Sixers won what fifty one games. The teams are about even, right? I'm <laughs> and, just saying. And the Jazz play in the West. You know that's a that's a tough West that they're working with there. And, and Donovan Mitchell has a great team to work with. He's got Joe Ingles who can knock down threes. He's got Rubio to set him up. He's got. Gobert down low. He has well, Favors, you, who's a mid-range sniper. You want to talk about Gobert's, you know, was it a foul or not at the end of the game? It was not a foul. Like, I mean, like, the only angle I saw was from the side. George was looking for contact. It's a real James Harden-like play. Really, it's a real Paul. Like, like honestly, like, it's not the kind of play that I'm in support of. Just... It's a Paul George kind of a play too. I mean, like just trying to get this contact. Honestly, I didn't see you know any change in the way he was shooting mid shot after the supposed contact with Gobert. You know, he was he was well, looking I for a foul. He, was, he didn't get it. Yeah, he was begging for the foul because you know he basically kind of goes up and, and then kind of hides and just waits for the contact. Right. It, it's not like and then the contact never came and then he just threw it anyway. Like. You know, I don't and know. And he airballed by a lot. It, that was embarrassing. Right, and then he and then he was complaining about it after the game. It's like, dude, sorry. Like, come on. Like, you you went for the foul. You didn't get it. Also, I need to mention this. Russell Westbrook. I don't know if you saw this. Pretty much attacked two fans, two separate fans. Okay, he like well, he like yelled at them. He didn't attack them. He didn't. <laughs> but then he like, well, like, well, no. He pretty much attacked the the guy who was holding the phone at him. He pretty much tried to swat it out of his hand. I take that. Out of that. As an attack, okay, and then he and then he like pats the security guard. He's like, throw him out, and I'm like, dude, he's literally just standing there with his phone filming you, and and, and like your butt hurt because you lost. Like, sorry, like you lost. Go home, sit on your couch, watch the rest of it. While this Jazz fan will be back there for the next round and against the Houston also Rockets. Also, not to mention for Russell Westbrook, just collect your check for forty million dollars. Exactly, know? just collect your check and go home. I'm sorry, like Westbrook, like. You like you single-handedly lost this series for your team. Single-handedly. Yeah, but he You're, single-handedly got them to be, uh, you know, uh, the seed they were. Right, Four or five, right. I forget like, which one. People will say like, oh, he got, but Kyle, he got 46 points in that game six on 43 shots. 43 shots it took him. You know, there are players on your team who are shooting a better field goal percentage than you. Pass it to them. Well, let's They just, might not have missed 25 of those 43 shots. So basically... You know, I saw a tweet about this last night, which said, uh, you know, someone was saying that 
Donovan Mitchell is already more clutch than Kobe Bryant ever was. And you bring up the the uh, 46 uh, points for Russ on 43 shots. That's a pretty big Kobe move. That's a Kobe stat line for sure. Yeah. That is a guy who, you know, I mean, like, and you're going to be fooled because he also gets, like, 10 assists. But, like, this is a guy who really doesn't pass. He doesn't pass. I mean, like, sure, he averages 10 assists a game, but, like, it's, it's like, fake numbers. It's, it's fake. You know, like, like he, he just pads his stats. It's not, it's not, his 10 assists are not as valuable as, as the next guy's 10 assists, you know? Um, and the fact, I mean, like, this era of Oklahoma City basketball is going to be marked with, by Russell Westbrook's inability to play with others. He drove James Harden out of town. He drove Kevin Durant out of town. He's, he's about to drive Paul George and Carmelo Anthony out of town, and he will wind up leaving Oklahoma City. I'm sorry, but it's like you want to keep Carmelo Anthony. Not exactly. He's not what he once was. <laughs> no, I mean, but he's better than the alternative, is he not? I mean, like, who else are they going to get to hit threes and just hog the ball any better than Carmelo Anthony does? But, like, back, back to what I was saying, like, Oklahoma City will never make the finals again because they have a player who is just unable to just play with others for some reason. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like, and he fools you. He's a master of deception here with this, tr- with this, you know, gaudy triple-double stats. At the end of the day, he can't play with others, and it's why Oklahoma City will never get past, you know, the West Finals ever again, I don't think. That's a fair point. How about we talk about the two Game 7s, which are happening today and tomorrow. Boston-Milwaukee, Game 7 tonight. Who you got? I think Boston gets it done at home. This has been a real – I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, that the home team has won every game this series. So I'd be shocked if the home team lost Game 7, you know, under the brightest lights so far this postseason. Um, I, I'm excited. I think Boston has what it takes to get it done. It's been a wild series. I think this is the perfect ending for them. Uh, but I think, honestly, the more important series for me is tomorrow, Indiana-Cleveland. <laughs> Cle- Indiana – Really smacked Cleveland last night. I think they won by like 29 or something like that. Can we talk about this, though? If Cleveland goes out in the first round, does that mean LeBron James is definitely gone? Oh, he's gone. Yeah. He's gone. I think he's gone regardless. Because even if they get out of this round, they're not going to get out of the next round. Like, come on. Indiana's not as good as a Philly or a Toronto. You know. You don't think, you don't think that Cleveland can beat Toronto? No. I not don't. even with LeBron James. If they couldn't get past Indiana, they're not going to get past Toronto. That's good. That's a fair point. But Toronto's kind of has a history of choking. Yeah, they do, but I think, honestly, with their first-round win here against Washington, I think they've proven that they're not going to choke this postseason, and I think they're going to represent the East in the finals this come June. So, Now, would you say that Philly's going to win outright against anyone who comes out of uh, Boston-Milwaukee, or do you think that uh, either no, team has actually, a No, I think if Boston comes out, I think Boston beats Philly. I think Philly's overrated. Um, I think they played a not-that-good Miami team, um, and that's why they're where they are now. Um, but I, I, I think that, honestly, they're just too young. I'm sorry. They're just too young. I mean, I mean the Celtics, obviously, I mean, like, I, honestly, can I even say that? Because the Celtics are really young, too. But, like, I don't know. I just think that, that the Celtics and Brad Stevens, they're an experienced playoff team in terms of, you know, Al Horford, Marcus Smart, guys who've been there. Um, I think that they can upset Philly. Upset, I'm like, I think most people would consider that, that an upset without Hayward or without Irving. But I think Boston can get it done and face Toronto in the East Finals. Let's go to the West. Golden State wins 4-1. They're playing New Orleans, who won 4-0. Is Golden State going to sweep the Pelicans after they just got after they just yeah. swept the Trailblazers? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I, I think if Steph Curry is healthy, which a lot of people think that he will be for Game 1, I, I hope he will be for... 
for game one. I think, yeah, it's going to be a clean sleep. The Pelicans aren't that good. Um, I don't know how they swept the Blazers. I mean, that Anthony was Davis was on fire. Right, but that's one player. You know, it's, it's a team game out there, you know. Um, and, and big man, you know, you know, bruising big men like Anthony Davis is with no one else around you historically haven't won teams' titles. Well, I mean, yeah, because they, he won't be able to get – he won't be able to single-handedly but I, get past. I, I, think, I think when you talk about Golden State – that is like winning a title if you can beat them. <laughs> for, for me, that's as hard as it as it would be this season to actually win it all is to just get past Golden State. So no, I short answer no. How about I, the Jazz? I think Golden State sweeps. Can they take down the Rockets? Yes. You yes. do. You think so? Yes, I do. I, I think Houston. Houston is still my finals pick, but in terms of what the Jazz have shown here in their first round series against Oklahoma City, a lot of heart. A lot of heart. Great home court advantage. If if Mitt Romney can just get out there in a suit with the jersey over, yeah, it, a custom a... Mitt Romney jersey over, just taunting James Harden in the best way he knows how. Um, Probably just talking about taxes. Right. Exactly. When I when I go into Washington, we are raising taxes in Texas. Exactly. Exactly. If I win this Senate seat, exactly. But yes, Utah has what it takes to get it done. They've got all these foreigners. Maybe the foreigners know what it takes. I don't know. Maybe that's the. Maybe that's. The, the secret weapon is the three out of the five starters on the Jazz are foreigners, you know? Maybe that's something that's never been tried before and, and, and might actually do it for them this time. But, you know, I think the Rockets are too good. It's almost, like, too good to be true. Whereas, like, I don't know. It'd be almost too predictable for them to beat the Jazz. You know, I, I don't know. And, and, I don't know. So you think it's a sucker bet, so to speak? Yes, exactly. You Being like, oh, the Rockets are going to walk. You see, So you think that... There's a difference that the Rockets are not the Golden State Warriors because Golden State, it's basically like, yeah, they they got it. We know yeah, they got it's it. It's like I, I don't even care anymore. Yeah, they're good. I realize that they're good, but the Rockets won what sixty six games. Well, here's here's the thing with the Rockets is that you never know when James Harden is going to start taking uh, drugs before a playoff game and then lose. Exactly, because that you know, for the first half of that game, was it game five? It was game. It was game six of the first round last year. When he basically was just like looked like he had been drugged in this for the second half, and he like just couldn't move or play yeah, basketball he's anymore. He's known he's known to just forget how to play basketball from time to time. Very like very seldom does that happen. And in the times when he does know how to play basketball, he is the best player in the world at playing basketball. But it, and in that first half against Minnesota in Game Five, when he when he had I think zero points. Um, on like 0 of 10 shooting. Yeah, he just <laughs> f- forgot how to play basketball. And then they came out in the third quarter and got 50 points, and they really blew them out of the water, and they closed out that series. So, yeah, Houston's really good. But I think Utah can give them a run for their money, and I, I hope that they do. All right, well, that's probably going to wrap it up for our basketball talk, but we do want to talk golf. Players' championships coming up. Tiger says he's going to be there. Are you on board or not? I am on board. He hasn't won since 2013. Um, I don't think he's gonna win this year. I'm sorry, Tiger Woods is not that good at golf anymore. You know, he's he, not that good. Can I tell you what he's, my golf strategy is? Talk about overrated. Come on. Can I tell you what my golf strategy is? Go ahead. I just always pick Jordan Spieth because I think he's pretty good, and eventually he's just gonna win. So if I pick him for every tournament, I think he'll win one of them. Yeah, that's true. But like, I think it, having that strategy, you'd still probably lose money off that strategy. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm because, not gonna start because, betting on golf. I'm saying if you were a betting man and and that was your strategy, you'd probably lose money. I would say Justin Thomas is the safer bet now. I think Justin Thomas is the best golfer in the world at the moment. Um, you know, but 
I don't know. I, I think I think and like when we're talking player championship, we've got to look into the future a little bit here. This is the last year where the player championship is going to be in May. They're moving it to March, starting in 2019, to to accommodate for the PGA Championship moving up into the Players Championship spot in May. I think it's a smart move by the PGA. Historically, they've gotten bad weather in the dog days of summer in August. The oftentimes they're fighting darkness, uh, to the point where you know on the back nine of the of um, Sunday afternoon, players are practically running up to their next golf shot. Uh, because, you know, they're fighting that darkness and they don't want to have to go into Monday. It's happened too many times to count. And, you know, I think it, it helps to have, you know, roll right into, you know, the WGCs in February, the players in March, the Masters in April, you know, the PGA in May, then the U.S. Open in June, and the and, uh, the British Open in, in July. It's like, it's like one Maybe big tournament for every month, you know. All I'm saying is that they could add a tournament in Utah. We've got great courses out there. And it stays light for a really long time. Unfortunately, that probably won't happen. Um, you know, it's it pains me to say that. You know, while like in all, like, not only was this a move to you know alleviate you know s- some of the struggles of recent PGA championships, it's also because they don't want the end of their of their marquee season competing with you know the ratings boom that is the NFL and the college football seasons. Can can you blame them? Exactly. So like, and like with this, they're probably going to be moving up. You know the FedEx Cup playoff tournaments into August from September, which means that they're probably going to cut it from four to three. Unfortunately, as I said, it pains me to say that the Boston tournament, the now known as the Dell Technologies Open, will probably no longer exist after the season. Um, it was always so much fun to, to go to and watch. Um, but, you know, I, at the end of the day, it, it's a smart move. I think that they'll make more money. There's probably going to be, you know, I mean, with that loss of a tournament at the end, there's probably going to be a bigger bonus pool at the end of the season for the players. Um, you know, we'll see how it goes. Let's uh, talk about let's talk about the tournament that's going on right now, which is the Zurich Classic of New Orleans. It's a it's basically a match play, so it, you know you're paired up. You right. want to know what the leader is right now? Michael Kim and Andrew Putnam at minus thirteen. <laughs> Who? Um, yeah, it's it's funny because like you know, a lot of these tournaments, you know, in between, especially the Masters and the players. Like, you lose a lot of these big-name players. Like, y- you saw it last weekend at the Texas Open. A lot of the big players stay away. This is a time in the spring where a lot of them just, just want to, like, have a rest in between these bigger tournaments. I think you'd have to go all the way down to a tie for seventh before the first name you'd recognize, which is Matt Laird. Never even heard of that name. Okay, I, I recognized him. Uh, I, I, Matt Kuchar is in the hunt, though. He is a, it seems like he plays every weekend. Yeah, he does play every weekend. <laughs> he just he's a nice guy, loves the game, just likes to get out on the course, have some fun. Literally he plays every weekend. But like back to this New Orleans classic thing, like I believe it was just last year that they changed the format to like try and because as I said, players like a lot of the big players, you know, it really drops your ratings when you don't have the big players participating in these spring tournaments. And the New Orleans um, classic, you know, f- falling on this late April um, slate. You know, I mean, like, they want to attract these big-name players, and I think changing it as it did last season from, you know, just a, a regular golf tournament, I don't even know what the terminology is, to, like, what they're playing now, which is, like, a match play format, it's been attracting these big players, and you're seeing, I believe it's seven out of the top ten um, are participating in this tournament, so it's a, it's, a, it's a big deal for them. Yeah, I mean, there are some big names. Tony Finau's there. He's in tied for eighth with minus ten. Then uh, you go down a little bit. Jason Day is there, minus nine. 
Uh, then we also, Matt Kuchar's there, as I said, Ian Poulter's there. Matt Kuchar is paired with uh, Bubba Watson. That's a good pairing. Yeah, that's a Those are two good... really good guys right there that I've, yeah. that I've, I've really rooted for in, in the past. I mean, th- that's a pair that I would like to go golfing with, no doubt. And, like, can I mention, um, the wa- apparently, the, like, the players get walk-up music. Yeah, I heard before, about that. Like, yeah, exactly. Isn't that pretty cool? Like, that's something you don't see often in golf. It's a baseball stalwart, but, like, you don't see it as often. So I think it's pretty cool, like, the, like this hip tournament down at the TPC of, of Louisiana that, that they're getting this walk-up music, really catering to this young crowd that, that the PGA has been trying to attract recently. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big fan. I, I think that, you know, golf is better with a little music on the course. Yeah, yeah, of I, course. Maybe next year they'll just let them be cracking beers. Like maybe like some sort of rules about minimum drinking. Maybe that's the next step. Uh, you never know. And the caddies drag a cooler with one hand and they have the clubs slung over the other shoulder. Maybe well, that's honestly, the play. Well, honestly, I was thinking if you got really inventive with it, you could probably make like a cooler that would actually kind of be a cart for your clubs. So you wouldn't Ooh. even have to carry them. Ooh, that, that could be innovative. Honestly, actually, guys, if you're listening to this, I just trademarked that. I'm going to invent that. You you can't. So thanks for listening to the Kyle and Kastanoff Show. That's going to do us for this week. We'll see you next time. Hey.